G'day ladies and gents and welcome to Life of Mine, the go-to mining podcast servicing everyone in the resources sector. From the underground mining blue-collar heroes all the way to the West Perth corporate boardrooms, Life of Mine delivers and connects everyone in the mining industry, no matter if you're clean-shaven or not. Now, first off, if you're a Life of Mine fan, you can do your bit to keep help this podcast ship sailing by heading to the Life of Mine shop and buy some merch. We've got shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got hats, stickers, stubby holders, all at www.lifeofmindpodcast.com forward slash shop. Get in quick. I'm a premium member of Australia Post now because it is flying out the door. There's bulk tucker merch. Everyone that loves Life of Mine loves Tucker. So, get in quick. And thanks to everyone so far that has loaded their wardrobe up with some Life of Mine merchandise. Now, speaking of corporate boardrooms, I've delivered a potential best-selling episode right here. This one may even knock Bill Beamant off his podium position for download record. Because I was lucky enough to chat with the head of corporate development for Bellevue Gold ASX stock code BGL, Luke Gleason. This bloke is a legend. Absolute cracking fella. The life and experiences Gleeson has had up to today with his current role in Bellevue Gold is they're unreal. He's pretty much had a good solid crack at every sport, played grade cricket in Queensland, has numerous broken fingers thanks to batting against Mitchell Johnson, and professionally, Gleeso, he originally came from a finance background of stockbroking and working as a stock analyst, before then being picked up by Northern Star Resources, where he worked as Bill Beeman's right-hand man for investor relations and business development. And you can hear the passion in Gleeso's voice when he talks about the five and a half years he did with Northern Star. He played a key role in the Pogo and Super Pit deals. And as he said, to drive past the Super Pit with his mum after a long trip through the Nullarbor, and then many years later play a key role in securing funding to purchase the asset with Northern Star, it's pretty unreal. And now Gleeso is bringing his energy and absolute legendary top bloke status into steering Bellevue Gold towards being the next top mining gig that everyone will want a job at. Gleeso and Bellevue Gold, they're all about culture, values and good food at the camp, obviously. So, sit back. And enjoy this one. It's an absolute cracking yarn with an absolute cracking bloke, Luke Gleason. Here we go. Track in the portal. Copy, ship boss. I got a radio check. Yeah, radio's working fine. Yeah, copy all personnel. Yeah, copy, mate. The town in the vet bag. Yeah, stitcher up there. Thanks, mate. Yeah, right, copy that. You're taller than I expected because of the um, amazing scene you're sitting down on the proactive videos. <laughs> right, right there. Oh, is that where you do it? Right there, which is quite funny because it's um, the the times when we uh, when I'm doing them, are, the release comes out, and you, you're sort of a little bit um, in the morning, you're trying to speak to investors or, or whatnot, and um, there's two with the proactive guys because of COVID, like it's it, getting in front of people's been hard, so you're just trying to do it trying to do it here where they can see the whites of your eyes so because you, you, you're not being like 45 percent of your registers offshore so trying to take up a little bit of the slack for not being actually being able to go out and see them so it's sort of why i've been doing them but it's quite funny because it's some the majority of the time they'll be doing it at 5 p.m because <laughs> katie pilbeam works out of right when you're over it yep. yeah and you, you've, you've had three or four coffees and you're going cross-eyed and you, 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 <laughs> If you, if you hit it at 9am, you'd be fine. But at, at 5pm, you're like, it's, it's it's quite funny. Like, I chuckle at myself. I go, Jesus Christ, you look stupid. But, uh, <laughs> and, and you're just clearly not remembering anything about the announcement you wrote. So, <laughs> well, are, are you doing them for every announcement? Pretty much, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's just, it's really just because you we can't, you, we're just locked up with travel. So you're just trying to, I guess, backfill for the whole um it's probably one of the things that we did well at northern star was 
a lot of marketing and Billy and I are on the road a fair bit. Um, it was well worth it um, doing it, but you that eye to eye human contact, you, you, you seeing the whites of someone's eyes, um, you, you just get a, bit, a different read on them. But well, I think for especially for us because we, it is a new name in a lot of investors' minds that you you. They see the what's yours. They understand what you're at, where you're at. Where a Zoom, you're not really getting that. Um, you don't. You don't naturally get that pull through of of the person. I think you you face to face contact. So that's same, a large same as interviewing someone. Okay, I hate doing them over Zoom or mm. phone or like you just you can't get a You got no cue. Yeah, you got no yeah. physical cues yeah. or anything. How the combos go? Well, even with the masks, I don't know if you've noticed, but like you can't tell someone's smiling or. <laughs> You know, you, you can't, you're like, yeah, they might have cracked a funny and you yeah, <laughs> yeah, picked yeah, up yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. Is he got the shits with me or not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so isn't it funny how, like, just as you said, building a gold mine, it's no different to bloody selling TVs at Harvey Norman. You're out there selling the selling the dream, aren't you? Yeah, well, I think it, well, yeah, like, I think one of the things that, that, that you learn, it normally takes people, to, like, back in my stockbroking days, you even learn it, like, it takes people. At least three to four times to hear something or, or or meetings or interviews to make a decision, um, and I think in terms of building a gun mine, you, you are like I think probably the, the the biggest thing and the biggest paradigm shift we've seen now is on the ESG side. Like, yeah, mm. um, one of the things that um, we, we look to sort of talk about at, at Northern Star a lot was the financial performance of the business um, because it doesn't doesn't matter if you're producing widgets or gold bars. It's 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 how much free cash the business generates after it's spent every last dollar of capital. So that's one of the things that we try and look to talk about here at Bellevue because that's really invariably how you value. Now, if you can create some consistency in those cash flows or grow them, um, then your stock will start trading at a, at a, a premium to that multiple. And I sort of remember back in the NST days from 14 to I guess 2014 to 2018, like the free cash generation of the business was was, was phenomenal. And that's really what sort of drove the, the uplift in the valuation of the business. So you, you are like your investors' dollars, I think they're on the ESG front. There's a new lens that's come over the top and we're all learning with it. But um, yeah, invariably, yeah, like I think um, um, if you sell something from the heart, though, it's a bit different, you know, like mm. if you um, people. People, you, you've got to engender trust, and you've got to you've got to build that trust. But I think that people, um, you, invariably, mate, you're 100 right. Like you, you are, like you, you you're in, you're in. It's competition for capital. So um, for us, I guess moving into that production space, it, our peer groups are probably the, the Capricorns of the world. I think Calidus, they're, they're another company going to production, um, obviously ourselves, um, and joining that peer group degree looks looks big, um, but probably a few years behind. Just just as they continue to develop that resource in terms of that pathway to production, you, you, you invariably are. Like I think, um, and that that's probably true in life in general. I think like it, it's relationships and um, w- whether it's I guess selling the not so much the best version of yourself, but being genuine. Um, I think if you can if you can portray that, it does engender trust and. Hopefully, from a selling point of view, it it, it, it works. Well, I think it does anyway, in my yeah. experience. Yeah. We, it, I think the, the colloquial terms wheeling and dealing, isn't it? That's the <laughs> <laughs> Well, this will be part probably part one of seven of mm. uh, Gleeso's interviews. <laughs> so, we're going to go either mining or cricket or bloody <laughs> stockbroker. I don't know. Take your, take your pick oh, today, it, Gleeso. Yeah, I, I, it's quite funny because it's, it's catching up with me. Just the, um, yeah, back, I think of. Fracture sacrum, I've got stress fractures, two spondies, um, and it's like I'm, I'm trying to train now and like stay active, <laughs> and it, it's biting me. Like it, Mum well, always living the living the unhealthy corporate life. Oh, yeah. well, well, just just I, I can't not do things a hundred percent. So Mum <laughs> um, used to say to me, I'd be playing sport and I'd be having cortisone injections and all kinds of things, and. She'd be, um, she'd be like, you're going to pay for that one day? And I'd be like, I'll be right, man. I'll be right. I'll be right. And she's <laughs> she, she, Mum's she's, always yeah, right. Yeah, yeah mum's, uh, <laughs> mum's been right on that one because it, it's, it's breaking me down at the moment. But uh, you just got you just got to have a go. Like, there's no other point. I saw you digging a hole or something on um, some social media outlet the other day, digging a hole in the backyard. Oh, or the backyard yeah, yeah, I was, I was. <laughs> 
It's because I just had the 40th um, a month ago now, really, probably six weeks. And um, well, I had people coming over and we're just sort of lucky enough to be in a position to grab the joint beside us. And but we had to get some cover up and to do that, you had to dig some soak wells. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't believe how much water runs off drain pipes are. Like it's a serious amount of flow. Like these, <laughs> these things were metre wide by 600 and had two of them. We had to, had to dig three holes, but I was into that because if I didn't do that, like, they couldn't have built the patio. And they would have put a hundred percent into those soak wells as well. Oh, soak well, wells, mine, and whatever glow sides, it gives a hundred percent. I was just trying to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm here to get the bill off the plumber, so hopefully he's cut me a deal. Cause, um, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, you're so big labour. It was my back digging them. <laughs> <laughs> where where'd all these these injuries come from, mate? The the illustrious sporting career before the uh, before what you do now. I'm hearing uh, Queensland cricketer. What are we, what oh, are we yeah, dealing with a, here? It's a good question. I think um, I don't think I was born probably with the best with the um, the, the best back, so that sort of probably causing me a few issues at the moment. But um, yeah, I, I guess growing up played. <clears throat> st- I just I just loved cricket. Like I was just drawn to it. Like I, I remember when I was little, um, well, Mum used to say she goes, "You just you'd go past the cricket ground, you'd be like, stop, stop." And it was really quite funny. Like, I, I don't really genuinely know why, but I was just sort of drawn to the game. Um, so I think that, um, yeah, probably a bit of cricket there. Um, footy as well. Um, sort of played soccer as a young fella, and I played rugby league. And then. Oh, I thought you were talking footy as in rugby league. Like, that's what well, I call footy. Well, yeah, Eastern like. Because well, you, you're Eastern States. Yeah, hey? Queensland boys. So go, going up, like, I. I started, Let's promise we get along during this because I'm a cockroach. So, everybody. <laughs> well, get through this. I did do a bit of creeping. You know, yeah, I've got I, him on the other side of the table. I'm out of bloody I, I punch reach. Oh, <laughs> it's. Um, no, it. Game one and two, geez, they hurt. Oh, mm. I, I do bleed red and it did kill me. Um, <laughs> Good, sucked in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, I think on, um, I think it's just wear and tear. Like just, um, I don't know, I started playing soccer as a young fella and then what else? Um, rugby league, then, then got into the rugby league and I sort of made a couple of the um, Gold Coast representative sides and it was genuinely because I remember thinking, I don't really want to get tackled here. <laughs> so I um, used to play in the centres in the wing and then into, into high school again, um, played um, first 13 rugby and then cricket was always my game though. Like I, I genuinely just loved it and it was quite funny. I am um, lucky enough to have a season overseas. In, what was that? First one was in 2000. Um, and I was meant to go in 1999, but the, the negotiation contract sort of stuff fell through. Just it was, just, um, it didn't really work yet. And I remember working at the casino as a guest room attendant. And that was, uh, <laughs> mate, that, that that was the best thing I've did because um, you you would have seen some stuff. Well, yeah, and just the way like it, it's it's a physically demanding job, and it, 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 funnily enough, you're doing it with 50 to 60 year old women and. Like moving around, like geez, I can motor, but um, it that's a tough job. Like yeah, that, right. that's yeah, <laughs> it's that's that's doing stuff at the bottom. But going back to sport, I that year I I didn't go overseas, and um, my best mates, um, one of my best mates' older brothers was Clark Keating, and um, he was playing for the Lions at the time. And my old boy played a lot of football, a lot of AFL football, and um, played funnily enough six seasons over here. and um, Hampton League footy back in uh, Victoria and that. So I was just to kick the footy with the boys and then the age of 19, I was down kicking the footy with, with Joel and Brad and I could always take a mark and um, Tony was like, you should come down and have a kick. So I, I went down and sort of um, played at Broadbeach in the in, in, the, in the reserves. Um, that was in – that must have been – Actually, it might have been after my second season. It might have been 2003, but um, ended, ended up playing a couple of senior games a year after. But I'd, I just loved footy. I, I genuinely loved it. Um, it was a great game. But I think um, going from cricket to footy season, you'd, um, you'd, you're catching a cricket ball like that and you're catching yep. a footy like that. And 
these fingers have just they've just turned into pretzel sticks. <laughs> what are they? Uh, yeah, what was the, that? What was that? That was on the twelfth man talking about Ian Healy. He's like bloody. His fingers look like twisties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> just cocking it like that thumb. I've broken that one in three places, and that one it's got a lot way too much movement. But then I, I sort of kept on playing my cricket, and then I, I got into the boxing, and um, then into um, a bit of kickboxing and a bit of BJJ. The yeah, Brazilian right. Jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Uh, and that was more when I moved to Perth, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu stuff. But, um, yeah, that, that's not too good, great for your body either because you just – Oh, no, they're hectic, them pricks, are. Well, oh. what am I, 94 kilos? And you, you wrestle another bloke the same size and all of a sudden you've got 180 kilos of weight going through your joints. Yeah. If you, you, you're trying to bloody tap each other. Um, <laughs> that probably topped a few things off too that I didn't really need. Yeah. yeah. Um, but – Oh, no, it's... That would have accelerated the bloody sporting retirement, a bit of bloody mixed martial arts yeah, in terms of degrading the yeah, body. Yeah, it's, it's, I, think it, I think it sort of did a bit, but, um, yeah, no, I think it's just, just general wear and tear. I can't complain too much. But you'd, I, th- I think the idea is when, you, when you're all done and dusted that you... You hopefully go up, not down. Um, when she's all over, well, you can't and, say you didn't try everything. No, right. I had to go, <laughs> but just genuinely, genuinely, like, like I'd probably, probably a little bit of, in, there's a bit of intensity in the stuff that that, that I do, but uh, just because I can't help it. But um, I think that um, the idea is when you when you go and meet your maker that you go, this body's stuffed and need a new one. I think um, <laughs> there's no point leaving anything in the tank. That's sort of. Sort of how I, it's just how I'm built. <laughs> when, when you went um, overseas for cricket, did you go? Was it like county, English county side of no, things? My, my first season was at um, a place called Titchbourne Park, um, just as an overseas amateur, um, just playing um, league cricket in, in, in England. Was yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was just um, it was a bit. It was in in, in Hampshire, um, the county of Hampshire, and probably about was it twenty minute drive out of Winchester, and uh, I. I'd, Love the place. I've always got a thought in my head of a pipe dream of going back and just just playing a couple of games. You yeah, know? yeah. just because is is it just massive over there in terms of everything below? You know, we've got you know Australia and the state cricket. Is everything just massive over there in terms of all the county local yeah, cricket? It's a, it's a good question. Yeah, the, the games, like I think that probably one thing there's a, there's a bit of money floating around, and I think in terms of Australia's been. Handy cricketers, and I think really what it is is just the, the, the another northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere thing where you it's summer here, it's winter there. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, you can just jump across. Yeah. Um, but um, great fun, some great memories from 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 those those trips, and went. Then I sort of got back and thought I'd better start taking life a bit serious, and went um, went to uni, uh, knocked that over, and then did another season in two thousand and three when I finished. Finish uni, and that was um, that was up in Scotland, actually. Yeah, right. Um, there was an overseas professional up there, and that that was good fun. Like that, they were they were great. Great That's times. A bloody man, I could imagine the social culture in Scotland because those blokes between drinking and fighting, the yeah. Scottish and the Irish, she would have been some uh, good times. Yeah, it, it was. It feels. It honestly feels like a lifetime ago. But no, I look back with a big smile. Like yeah. they're. Um, that, they were they were great times actually, um, and that was two thousand and three. And then were you, were you going? Were you trying to make a go of it professionally? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, I can't do anything by half, so hundred percent. So I, I think I probably probably the best year I had was two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. It might have been oh eight, oh nine. I can't remember, but I, I scored over a thousand runs in Queensland grade cricket. Um, I think I'm tied fifth Peter Burge medalist. I'd, we didn't win a flag that year, but um, basically, what what sort of happened um, throughout that era? Like it's quite it's quite an, quite an interesting period in cricket, and that's not to say I would have gone any further than I did. But what what was a real limiting factor was I don't know if you recall. Remember, Mike Hussey came through like as, as a thirty year old. Like he was, yeah, he was he was like an older guy, you know, but, and he was just killing it in uh, bloody. State cricket state for cricket, years. Yeah. Same as Matt Hayden as well. He was in state cricket for bloody years before he broke into he Australia. He was, and a large part of that was the, the strength of grade cricket in Australia. But one of the things I think it was um, Greg Chappell who brought in was a rule in the second 11. Um, when you grew up as a young fella in Queensland, like, to play second 11 cricket, that was sort of your gateway into to 
moving forward in, in your cricketing career, um, if you manage to score some runs in the second eleven, well, you, mm. you you're obviously uh, you're probably <clears throat> moving forward to maybe at some point getting a bull, awarded a Bulls contract or the like. But um, what what pretty much happened was in two thousand and I can't remember what year it was. It was the early two thousands though. But um, Greg Chappell brought in a rule that um, they can only pick three blokes older than. 23 to actually play second 11 for the state. So what it pretty much meant to every grade cricketer that was older than 23 was you you can score as many runs as you want, but you, you're really going to struggle to get picked. So Yeah, right. I don't know if you then saw – you sort of over that five or six-year period after that, there was no more Mike Hussies. Like, there was no more Mike Hussies because they were sort of – Ah, couldn't get right. picked. Yeah. So that was for every state, not it was, just Queensland. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was a real disservice to probably a lot of good cricketers. Um, a, a good mate of mine that we grew up with, Andrew Robinson, ended up playing, I can't remember how many games Robert played for Queensland, but and, and, and even Chris Swan. Like you, you had a lot of cricketers there that, that played for the Gold Coast that I think could have played a lot more um, first class cricket if they were afforded an opportunity. They ended up repealing that rule, I think, in. Changing it back um, in, I think it was 2011, I think, 2011, 2012. But, um, yeah, it, it really did weaken cricket because that, 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 that hunger, that breeding ground, that, that, that grade cricket across Australia was really where that all, the strength of Australian cricket was that, that grade cricket that sort of made, turned you into a hard cricket. Mm. You had no choice. But is, is cricket one of those things where you mature, like you, because I assume it's such a bloody mental game in terms of, Getting your head right, not think, just not, well, I, not thinking, not getting wigged out about not getting runs. Like, it, is it one of those games where people seem to mature a lot more? Well, Adam Bogus was the same. Well, he come in late and look how many runs he scored for yeah, Australia. I think it is. Like it, it, it the, the next Ricky Ponting, like just to bring it back to that really quickly, was always going to turn up. You didn't need to, you didn't yeah. need to try and find the next Ricky Ponting. He was always going to show up. So. I think the 100% cricketers will mature at different rates, and it's a funny game because you get it, 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 there's not many games in the world where you, you get one chance, and if you go and bugger it up, you, you go and sit, sit in the sheds for yeah. six six hours. And, and the thing with grade cricket is you'd 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 have you'd play two day games, so Saturday, Saturday. Now, if you made two bad decisions in in, in two games, you'd, you'd bat twice in a month. You know, like yeah, so, you, yeah. cricket's a game where you, I think you. You do see players mature later, just just as as you grow mentally, uh, for sure. But but different players mature at different rates. But it was probably probably just a little bit sad for and a lot of good cricketers I knew then went back and played club cricket, below grade cricket to go and get paid because there was no sort of progression mm. um, to push it push it forward. So I think that um, it was a bit of a disservice, and I think that it sort of hurt. Australian cricket for a period there, but um, I loved it. Like it, it sporting environments, mate. You, they're extensions of your character, and you get to, you get to, you get to show it. And it, it probably taught me um, privileged enough to. We won a grand final. We took the first flag out of Brisbane in a hundred years. The Gold Coast Dolphins. I was playing for at the time. We we won it. Scott, Scotty Muller was our captain. Greg Campbell was our coach, and we had a, probably a. A good mix of um, experience, and obviously Andrew Simons, Roy was a Gold Coast Dolphin, so we'd, we'd see him every a few games a summer, which is always mm. would always g the boys up. But um, I think that we end up winning a flag in I think it was two thousand and was early two thousands. Can't remember the date of the first one, um, but it was pretty much I guess. I was lucky enough to score some runs in, in the semi and the grand final, but um, it taught me that if you believe something enough in your heart and your head, you could in life, um, you could, you, you could if, if you could get, if you can align those two things, you can achieve anything, mm. and um, that was pretty powerful. But the only reason you learn those lessons is putting it, putting yourself, like as I was mentioning in sport, it's a, it shows an extension of your character. Um, well, you get to show it, or you get you get to get to understand who you are. So, sport, I think, for, for anyone or anything that pushes you to the point where you're outside your comfort zone, it's where you learn. Well, because if, if they once you get to that level you were at, like if mm. they like say hypothetically they threw you into um, the Australian team at that point, is it are they even though you you are all bloody good cricketers? Mm. Were you pretty close to those levels, or is it is it like are, are those people that? 
just that so much above people that are playing second eleven grade cricket. I'd, I'd certainly say, like from a from a from a batting perspective, yeah. Like it, it, the funniest thing about what would what a good way to judge a good batsman is his ability to pick length. Um, like from a, from a from a bowling perspective, um, anyone that represents Australia playing cricket as as a batsman or a bowler, they're, they're amazing. They're amazing sportsmen. Yeah, a huge jump. I think probably the, the biggest thing that you, um, you'd see is a different style of players and, and where they end up. Um, and I think um, the yeah, massive jump, I think probably the biggest thing is as a cricketer, you always, you always want to try and, and in, probably in life and in any sporting context, you want to fulfil your potential. Oh, you want to see people get the opportunity to feel their potential. How far you go, who knows? Um, but I think um, huge, huge step. Um, clearly, from well, never, never ever see played for um, for Queensland. But um, from the point of view of, of moving up through those ranks into second eleven cricket and then into state cricket, um, well, I think it, um, it 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 just depends on. A lot of things. Clearly, skill levels. I, I guess I had the privilege of growing up with the Shane Watsons of the world and. Sort of mentioned Andrew Simons and um, put a fair bit of cricket against Mitchell Johnson, and he did some nasty things to my body. Over extended time frames at times, especially but, when um, he probably didn't have as much control over the bowl, and they were probably going a bit everywhere. <laughs> oh yeah, he, he normally knew where he wanted to put him, and um, yeah. it was uh, normally around your, your ear holes. But, um, um, well, I think that um, a large part of Probably getting that next level in sport with people is, is surely talent getting identified early for sure and nurturing it. I was reading um, an article, Matthew Mott, um, another Gold Coast boy. I think Motty just finished up coaching the, the Australian females cricket side. Um, <clears throat> just sort of talked a lot about his progression in cricket and with, with the, the AIS Academy, he sort of went down there and developing talent and nurturing it and, 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 and probably um, – Putting that talent to the test at a young age is is what defines and seeing seeing my experience with, with Shane Watson in particular. What I getting exposed and always earmarked. He was Shane. Shane was a freak, um, but just nurturing that talent and mm. exposing it to the right environments at the right time. I think that um, that that's probably the difference. Um, but you, you don't get to those levels without an ex, ex, extraordinary amount of talent. I think me my my cricket career I was probably more of a. Um, I'd, I'd call myself a knicker and a nudger, mate. Uh, <laughs> knicker and a nudger, yeah. but an accurate one. Oh, just um, <laughs> odd again. Just probably intensity. I probably a little bit competitive, and I guess yeah. What what makes you a good cricketer is consistency um, and knowing. And I think that consistency comes with knowing your limitations um, and and knowing what you're good and good and bad at. Um, and and that said. Um, just just trying to push yourself to the highest level you can. I think in anything um, that that to me that, that I get a kick out of that. Because mm. yeah. did did this like sporting or like, obviously a life of sport that you've been through, mm. then getting exposed to you know the underground mining environment later in life, like with mm. what you're doing now. Did the did sport resonate? In what mining is? Did you know? Well, because I've been given information that you were one of Northern Star's top underground miners. <laughs> some tall, some real tall bloke told me this. <laughs> I could just imagine who. But, um, now I think that um, I think there's good, like there's good and bad sides of everything, and I think to to look at Northern Star as a business. Um, I was actually a research analyst back back when Billy picked me up. I think I picked up cabbage in Northern Star at 2012. The stock was around 200 mil market cap. And 2014, jumped on board. I think it was about 300 then. But um, you could always see that, like, with that business, like, I've always been excited by growth. And, and to look at that business in particular, um, long, long-winded way to answer your question, but um, – they were just doing things other people weren't at that time, and you could see it. And what, like what, like the marketing side of things? Oh, not so much the marketing side. They were just like I'd you'd go, I'd go and sit with Bill, I'd go and sit with Stu, I'd go and sit with I think Ray Parry was a C, CFO at the time, um, and Bernie Shostak as well. Um, 
you go and sit with the gores and cross triangulate information to understand what was going on. But they were just the underground development rates, everything they were doing from a mining perspective, if I compared it to the other companies I'd, I'd go and speak to as an analyst, they were, they were just doing things better. They were just playing playing a little bit of a different game. Um, so I think in terms of um, more time at Northern Star, um, gosh, would have been... I don't know if it was 16, 17 or 18, I went out and worked for, for a week with the guys out there. And <laughs> Because if you want to learn something, you've got to go and do it. So yeah. um, it was brilliant brilliant to go and do it. But it, it was just so funny because the week we were out there, I think um, things were going real well. I think I had a couple of days on an RC rig as well. And <laughs> like, I think they'd planned to do 200 metres one day and we did 380. <laughs> it was just falling right for me. And I think um, I was out there with... Um, Lucky and luckily enough, I um, just saying you on the phone the other day. I um, got thrown on um, mangoes, um, mangoes jumbo, pretty pretty handy jumbo operator. But um, I think we took four cuts in that that twenty four hour cycle as well. So the, the funniest thing was um, we have a weekly meeting with it was at, across at KB and. The guys are sort of running through the numbers, and there's me chirping in the background. Like, <laughs> <laughs> did you guys hear that? So I think I, think I, was, I, think I was pretty blessed with um, <laughs> a pretty favourable week, and they probably would have got five cuts if I if I wasn't in the road. But, uh, <laughs> in terms of the um, the underground sort of things, um, I loved it. Like it was just that, that common bond, and you could see it and feel it. And um, I think playing sport, yeah, and, and probably probably more footy than. Than cricket, you you're playing playing a game of footy. You're putting yourself in harm's way, and uh, you're doing it with your mates. So, I think that w- one of the things I loved about footy was that, like, you knew who your mates were because um, they got to demonstrate it. So, I think in an underground sense, um, I could feel that sort of w- w- with the guys, and um, just wanted to not bugger anything up because I've never heard the end of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfectly yeah. honest. <laughs> <laughs> what did you have to um sort of beg them to go do that like the whole to actually go get a week underground? Um, no, the the guys are really good. Like it was something that um, I sort of mentioned to, to, to Bill and Stu. Um, <clears throat> I think Big Daz might have been. I can't think Daz was in ops then. I think, but um, yeah, just sort of said, listen, I want to go and look if I, I want to go and do it for a week and just understand the cycle a bit more. And the only way you do that is by doing it. So. It was quite funny, the the, the, the poor buggers at um, Bud O'Shaughnessy was project manager at, at Millennium at the time, thinking, what kind of hand, like, what kind of dodgy hand pass have I got here? <laughs> um, but um, the, mole, the mole, the corporate mole. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I think Mango called me undercover boss there a couple of times, but um, it was um, the, the guys are really good, like in, oh, it was 27, 28, probably in, uh, oh no, sorry, it would have been. Age was it would have been thirty four, thirty five, probably in, in in reasonable shape, fitness wise. So mm. um, out the front of a jumbo would sort me out pretty quickly, <laughs> or, or I wouldn't come back. But um, it, the guys are really good about it, and I was pretty blessed at that point. I think that to to be able to do that um, with the guys, and obviously keeping an eye on me and whatnot. But um, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Did you did you get an appreciation of how? important like culture is on mine sites after doing that like you know the workplace <coughs> vibe and culture and oh 100 percent the teamwork yeah i couldn't couldn't agree more like it, it unless you've gone and done it i don't think you can you can explain it to people and i only did it for for, for a handful of days and it's, it's 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 what you guys do all the time and um yeah no a serious appreciation for it like um but i i like going and that's all go, um, which is something that I enjoyed. Um, yeah, and I couldn't agree more. I think at times just to see the interplay between different people doing different jobs I found really interesting as well because um, it, 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 it's one of the things that um, I'll probably learn off, off Billy. You probably gave me a compliment early, in my, early on in my few years into my role at that Northern Star. He, he just said, "Glee, so you can smoke at all levels. I can take you to speak to every handbro at Buck Rock, or I can take you down to a jumbo, and you can you can relate to people." Mm. Um, and, and I think it, we all bleed red blood. It doesn't matter what you do um, in in any role in any job. You want to feel appreciated. Um, 
and the like. But I, I, I found it really interesting, the dynamic, but I, I loved it. I think that um, Partner L obviously did it for seven and a half years too. So it, um, it's something that um, I think is great. And it's, it's quite rare, I reckon, you know. Like I think that um, I could certainly – just from a sporting perspective, you, you can only play sport for a period of your life. But mm. you, I looked at that, and you could see you can, you can see the camaraderie, and and I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. You, you don't you don't get that very often in 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 life. I don't think in many jobs. Um, an underground mining environment's a very unique mm. environment to work in, um, and. Obviously, mate, you love it. Like, well, I, it's, I it's it. rare you'd find a job where you can you go to work for twelve hour days and and everyone just says how much they love it, like how good fun it is, yeah. like it's fun. Like that's the best way I explain it. Yeah. You can be twelve hours still looking for another half hour because you wanted to get this done. Yeah. Most jobs you'd be like, oh, I can't wait to bloody get home. I'm yeah. over it. It's yeah. um, it's a weird industry. I'll be I'll be, be interested to know if there's another industry out there like that where people have that opinion yeah. of their job. I'll, yeah. I'd find it hard to believe there is twelve yeah. hours in a bloody office. I don't think you'd be, you wouldn't have that same thought. Yeah. Now I think that it, it, it's one of the things I did notice. Like time time flew. Mm. You were moving, but yeah. time did fly. Um, which I think it, it's probably that let's go kind of attitude. I, I think that that people either possess or, or they're drawn to or, or they don't. Um, I think probably to your point, like a role like in a defence forces role, I think you'd, you'd probably at times well, that, have yeah, that camaraderie because yeah, you're, you're obviously operating in a pretty unique environment. Mm. Um, but I think that um, I guess beauty's in the eye of the beholder and you, you, you're just drawn to things, aren't you? Mm. Like in, in your personality's drawn and in different directions for for different reasons but um i loved it and i thought it was brilliant it um great experience mate mm. yeah how'd you, how'd you get poached from um analyst <laughs> side of things to come over to mine was it on the radar or it just sort of <laughs> happened or yeah well, you're on the piss with bill somewhere <laughs> <or somebody? laughs> no it was quite, it was quite funny actually because um i think that a big thing for me is always being like in my career to at that point I I think I'd, I was an analyst for two and a half years but I'd, I'd always did that role with a view that I didn't want to do it forever um, and to be around something that's growing is pretty exciting so I think in terms of the opportunity at Northern Star I sort of it was really funny I sort of just Billy and I hit it off and but I think the first time I saw Bill present was in 2012 and I was back in Queensland stockbroking and moved over here and um, scratch, scratch, scratch my head. I was actually, it went 2010, four years later, I was, I was working with him. But it, it just sort of, I guess it evolved just from like you'd go on site tours and I met Stu, met, met, met um, uh, obviously Bernie Shostak and the senior management team and Northern Star had just gone on board um, the Canal. canal Canal operations, the Escondana Joint Venture, Platonic, and, and Jundee. And um, I remember to, speaking to, to Bill Z at the time, Lyndall, Lyndall Weston, um, Lyndall was great, and um, just sort of saying, oh, Lyndall, at some point, Billy's going to need a hand, isn't he? So I said, oh, so you are, yeah. And she sort of said, oh, would you, would you come and work for us, would you, Luke? And I said, oh, you know, I think it was um, the line off. Big Andrew Simons that I, I just stuck in my head for some reason because Roy always used to say, everything's for sale, but sell at the right price. So I, think, <laughs> <laughs> I might have thrown that at Lyndall, but um, yeah, and, and, and funnily enough, look, we, we, uh, I went up and I called him up and I was always on the front foot though like, to, to, to understand what was happening in the story because the guys were doing things better than – Everyone else in the industry. So I was I'd ring Billy up and say, mate, what's going on? Love to come out and hear an update. Um, Jundee, they'd just gone through that settlement process at the time and just sort of understanding how that transition transitioning was going. And we just had a bit of a um, chat on, on how Jundee was. And then he said, I want to have a quick chat to you. Um, I said, well, let's get the work stuff out of the road. And yeah, it sort of, sort of, sort of went from there. Yep. And um, yeah, no, what a ride! What what role did you take initially, or was it the same role the yeah, whole time? Yeah, the same role the whole way through, really. Um, <clears throat> sort of heading up investor relations, and um, from a business development perspective, just working in. Um, I think I think Big Daz had just moved across from Ops into a BD role, so sort of assisting 
I guess, working in with him there. Because um, at that time, was Bill pretty much handling all the investor relations? He was, yeah, d- doing it himself, yeah. yeah. So it was it was basically, if we're looking at something, I'd then sort of jump into the, into the BD stuff, but, yeah, predominantly the, the IR side. So it was just looking at trying to, to, to be frank, look at exploiting the competitive advantages that I thought the business had. So, uh, and that was great. Like, she was all go. Um, Bill and I probably got very similar personalities like that. Um, the best way to explain Bill to people is go and jump in the car with him. Mm. Um, he moves at 100 miles an hour, literally, um, yeah. and that that sort of sort of gelled with me, you know. So um, yeah, that was. I think all up, it was just over. What was it? Five, five and a half years. All up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it was it was a hell of a ride and. Um, well, what, especially <coughs> from where you got there and where to where they the company ended up. Well, yeah. obviously, you had a bit of a part in that yeah. uh, along for the journey. It would have been pretty uh, amazing ride to go on. Oh, it was. No, it was. It was. Um, and you, you can never really predict these things. We knew what we were doing internally um, with the business strategically. Um, <clears throat> look, let's be let's be frank about it. The gold price kept on rising, which helped us um, in the later years. But in the first, first sort of 18 months, it was a pretty flat – Flat gold price, and um, a lot of a lot of work was being done behind the scenes. I think to set the business up, um, and and I think from I guess you, you all play a part in it. Um, one of the things I loved at the business was that we'd have an annual strategy day, and um, that sort of taught taught me a lot. Obviously, in terms of my current role here at Bellevue, but um, yeah, we all did play our parts uh, in that, uh, and I loved it. Like um, it um, all in my heart, heart of my sleeve. So it was good to be. Good to be, good to be a part of that. I think I picked up your button pneumonia twice in, in in five and a half years. Like we were running pretty hard there for a while, um, but I think I think the, the most flights. I think we did thirty two flights in a quarter once. So we're, in a quarter, yeah, shit. So we're on a plane every three days. If I added it up, <clears throat> that was probably as busy as it busy as it got. Um, that yeah, that was pretty hectic. Yeah. Um, but. But, but it's, it's it's probably one of those things, Matty, in life. No one sees the hard bits, do they? You know, like you, you just get on and do it. And um, success has got um, many fathers, as they say. And <laughs> you can throw a heap of cliches at it. Um, visions twenty twenty and in hindsight, and whatnot. But yeah, a lot of hard work by a lot of a lot of people. And I think it was it was really funny at NST with um, the work that um, actually Peter Slocum did at the time, just on. Personality types. I think that was back. It was a couple of years back. Um, just looking at the personality of the sort of senior senior leaders in the business, and everyone was a builder. Like when you actually broke down their personality profiles, um, and <clears throat> again, probably uh, it's a credit to um, Bill and Bill and the senior team at NST to recruit those kinds of people, um, and that they no doubt gone and picked them as well a little bit, but. Um, I think we all, all all played our parts, and yeah, no, and it was great. Like you, you, you come in, and obviously a big part of my role was obviously to get the strategic messaging right, making sure that we we're seeing the right investors at the right time. But probably the biggest kicks were raising Lixer Capital. Obviously, we bought Pogo and then the Super Pit. Um, it was funny to to think of come across in two thousand and twelve, and I would actually drove across. Australia with mum. Oh, right. Yeah. Did the nullable. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I always saw it like I'll never regret doing it with her, if you know what I mean. So we'd sort of do you know, 900 k's a day. I think it took yeah. us five, five and a half days. But dr- we drove past the super pit, went up and had the obligatory look as you, as you do. Um, and yeah, but just, yeah, real head scratcher to think that eight years on, you played a part in buying the place thing. Close to a billion bucks to go and buy it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that was. Tickled, tickled pink, I guess, to, 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 to play a part in that and and whatnot. It was um, it was pretty cool. What do you, what value do you put on the market cap you got? You gave Northern Star individually. What are you? You worth about two hundred mil, were you? Oh, I, I think all those things are so funny because um, you just you just can't compare them. But um, I hope Billy's listening to this. But um, no, no, I, I think that um, again, it, um, you, you all play a part. I think it's hard to. It's hard. It's hard to pull apart. But yeah, I guess my job was was looking at 
trying to extract as much value as I could from the business from a, from a marketing standpoint. And yeah, it's so funny. Like you, you can't, you just, you can't take anything away from the people who are actually breaking the rock. You know, like that's that's what built the business. Like without those tons, well, nothing was happening. You know, so um, you, you all play your part at, at, at a different stage. Um, I don't know how what, what I cost them in hundreds of millions of dollars with, with my marketing, but um, <laughs> it might have been the other way. A few, but, bloody, um, a few bloody Qantas flights by the sounds. Yeah, yeah. Oh, more so in that the harm I did to the market cap rather than <laughs> no. But, but but in all honesty, I, I don't think you, you ever know. But it was just good to be part of part of that team, and um, we would get ranked in terms of my role within other businesses externally once a year, and. Uh, the boys certainly. I think we we come top of the pops there in um, one or two years, and ahead of the BHPs and the Rios, and it was a one man yeah. band, and some of those businesses had eight or ten people in them. So yeah. don't worry, that got bandied that, that got bandied around in front of them a bit. But uh, no, I don't think it, it, anyone could take any success. It was a, it was a it was a team effort, and I, I loved every bit of it. Did so. It obviously seemed the right time to. Spread the wings into the Bellevue gig. That's yeah. uh, that's obviously uh, this is like because you're you're essentially the well you're the LinkedIn face of the joint at the moment, aren't you? <laughs> well, I think it um it you probably probably a couple of things play, played played into that, Matty. To be honest, and I think it I loved my my job at NST, but um. I sort of the finance undergrad did a postgrad in geology and a master's science in mineral economics. Probably come more from that finance side. I probably wasn't going to really move too further forward in that business. So I was probably, for want of a better term, stuck in that in that role. Um, and at the time, I was thirty eight. Um, beautiful partner L. They're supporting me. We we didn't don't have kids. Um, it was probably an opportunity to to look at your career and go right. Well, where am I positioned here, um, and what do I want to do? Um, and I think that 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 sort of played a part of you got to keep growing. Like you got to keep learning and growing. And I I probably felt that the, the bigger the business got, you, you, which is just a, a function of a business growing. You 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 just become a the, the the wheel grows and the cog naturally comes a little bit smaller. So I think in terms of that, there's a little bit of that going on and just looking at saying, right, well, look, what do I want to do with my life? Like what 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 what's next? Um, you've got to keep growing and I think at 38, you, you've got to keep learning and evolving. So I think that I probably felt that there was an opportunity to, to grow if it, if it came up or, or the right opportunity and um, – that at Bellevue, I think that in terms of um, it was the biggest decision in my life. To be honest, I could I'll, for those that know me, um, I'll, I'll probably a bit of an emotional kind of bloke. Like, I don't mind shedding a tear. I think blokes' emotional strengths are like that, that in my heart, in, in my life. That's been a big, big driver of my strength. So I've never really been afraid to show it. Um, and I think you, you, you learn stuff like that in your life. Like I remember. Boxing or kickboxing at times against like I think over here and to to get graded in the kickboxing stuff I was doing it sort of you do a couple of rounds against at the time Michael Tora was one of the WA champs and um, but some of those guys some of the nicest guys you make you know you jump in the ring though and she's on yeah but, but you know what I mean like yeah, yeah. that to me is strength like, like yep. that that to me is true strength um, and and I think that. It, it, I shed a lot of tears to leave. Like it killed me because I'm loyal. Loyalty is probably one of my, in terms of my core values, it's probably my biggest one. So, mm. so to leave, I, I really felt that I was, it was a really tough thing for me. Like shed a lot of tears actually to, to leave that business because um, Billy and I, I guess, were joined at the hip <clears throat> and I loved working with the guys. So that was, it was a huge thing to, to move. But at some point, you, you you've got to do what's right for you or, or, or I, I didn't you never want to live your life with regrets like you've always got to make considered decisions but um to, to make that decision it was a big one um and I, I guess the opportunity at Bellevue the opportunity that I saw was to help out strategically with the business try and set it on that pathway and we're, we're sort of achieving that with our dual exploration development pathway track huge opportunity to um to 
to have some impact there and also to help build a culture, probably one of the things that I think was great about the Northern Star business was that our star core values, still remember them, safety, teamwork, accountability, results and respect and our post core values here at Bellevue, um, my um, cousin's Trevor Gleeson, the basketball coach. Oh, and, yeah. Um, so when we turned up, I turned up in February 2020 and sort of said, we've got to get this strategy going. Um, and it was just after sort of COVID, COVID broke, but we took off down south to the limits that we could go with it, with the boundaries and whatnot and um, engaged the guys at Main Street Capital, Morris Argento, to come down and just run a two-day strategy session to say, right, where do we want this business to go? Um, and got Big Trev to, to come down and do a bit of a spiel on his career because um, he certainly wasn't a straight line and a very humble guy. But um, I think in terms of the opportunity to play a role in when we set our pay score values, like that passion, accountability, community and excellence, and that we set the pathway of the 18-month, two-year trajectory where we thought the business could get to. Um, and that, that's been that's evolved a few times since. But um, a, a, to play a part in that, to me, it was like, I can believe that in my heart and my head, and um, I think that what's the old saying? If you if you believe in in what you do and you love it, you you, not, you don't work a day in your life. Um, I certainly feel like I do work days in my life. <laughs> the, 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 there's no sugarcoating that, but to, to be a part of that, you know, something bigger yeah. than yourself, and to, to play probably more of a meaning meaningful impact or part in that that was a big draw card for me. Um, and and you, you've got to take your chances, right? Like, um, um, Billy always says that from a time at Northern Star that they'll write a book one day, Gleeso, and I think it's probably too soon, but they'll write a book on Bellevue too. Like the the pathway that we've had over the last two years, there's been some interesting things that, that have cropped up and whatnot. And in, in a lot of the day, you, you, in a lot of day and time, you'll talk about them um, in terms of the challenges that you have. But that's just a part of every business. Um, but I guess the one of the things here at Bellevue, you wanted, you wanted to turn up and a big part of me was you wanted to turn up and make decisions, good, bad or ugly. That if you want if you want to take a step up in your career, well, that's what you've got to do. You've got to make decisions. Um, so that's the, the long side of it, I guess, yeah, where mm. it's at and that hashtag belief stuff, um, a couple of little bit of stick-off times, particularly off the geos. <laughs> what are you talking about? What do you believe? But that, it's more the belief stuff is just that passion to believe in what you're doing. Um, and and that's something that I think from from an, from an underground point of view, you'd see that I'd see mm. it. And um, partner L, as I was mentioned, did it for seven and a half years. And some of like, the, the camaraderie she'd have with some of her bloke mates and some of her female mates, like I, I love that stuff. But you you got to believe in each other and believe in what you're doing. So that's a big part of the, the hashtag belief mm. stuff because um, life's too short not to. Yeah, well, did you did you think you'd be like selling the the Bellevue stock code along with, uh, you know, being being so it sounds like you're pretty involved in developing the whole culture for the business. <clears throat> like it's all is it usually intertwined or it's? Uh, well, I think it um, it was sort of when Steve and I sort of got got chatting on it, which it just even fact I was talking to to Steve at all was probably just occurred over more of a bit of a joke down at Mayfair Lane actually with. Um, one of the analysts that covers both our names and we, we just sort of got chatting. But um, I think Steve's added attitude to what I wanted to do was he goes, well, just tell me what you want to do, what you want to be involved in and let's get it going. So um, the, the EMT at Bellevue, we all make these decisions together. But um, just to just to draw that and, and probably coming on board when I did, it, it was sort of time for that stuff to come in. Um, Dina DiBarello runs... Um, our HR function of the business, but um, we all sat around as an EMT and developed those those pace core values. It was quite funny around the table as as they came up and we're, yeah. we're sort of running through. We'd done a staff survey on site uh, and with the senior leadership team and that core value stuff, it all came bottom up. So basically our staff at the time, I think we had sort of 30 to 40 odd employees. I can't remember the exact number, but it was all, list all the things that was important to them went away and ranked them and then the EMT did the same thing and the alignment, it, it, it came from the bottom up. But you, you can't drive these things top down. They've got to come from your staff. So um, to be involved in that, that, that was pretty cool. Um, but can't claim any more involvement, mate, than the rest of the EMT. But oh, you can today, mate. You're the one in front of the microphone. You can claim whatever <laughs> you want. Rewrite history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what, 
what's the vision for the you know you talk about the pay score values like, like in in layman's terms if you're selling it to the employees like what's what's Bellevue going to be like what's the culture going to be like what, what's your vision for the whole Bellevue gold business yep yeah, just yeah. even just for a, for a typical lad or lady working underground yeah well I think that if you looked at looked at our business it's um 40 percent female participation a lot of gender diversity average age of our employees 38 the people that will mine this gold mine will be the next generation of miners so what you want to do is 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 try and create an environment and it's the same here in the Perth office like you want to create an environment where people actually want to turn up and work so you got to look at it I guess from like you look at the office here you look it up on side and what, what do people want well first of all they want to be respected um, and I think that invariably you want to believe in what you're doing but for, from a site perspective a big part of that that push into production is just making sure we get the camp right you know or making sure we get the camp right setting it up right so people like it's a i don't think there's any mincing the words like fifo environment like it's pretty challenging like it'd be hard for you i'd imagine too at times away from your young ones and whatnot like so you want to just create an environment where from a camp point of view you've nailed that you want to get the food right you want to make sure that they've got good internet connections you want to make sure they've got a gym they want to make sure they've got a good social area but getting those things right um so people want to actually want to turn up and turn up and work um love to try and claim the fact that the ground's good there's no water um issues and, and the like that they're, that they're all yeah doing but they're not but those things do help as well like yeah. i'd imagine from the point of view of the conditions that in your career that you, you want to work in good ground conditions and and, and a good underground environment not too hot not yeah. too hot don't yeah. want to be too hot yeah we've got no control over any FYI, of those things bellevue are hitting a lot of gold close to the surface everyone she's going to be nice and cool just letting everyone know <laughs> in advance <laughs> no but it, but it is it's a it, it is something that we can't claim any credit for but those things all do help but you want to make sure that you want to get all those things right um and you've got to walk your talk right so even going up going up the side and if you're sitting in on a um, shift change meeting of the like just even speaking to the contractor and saying these things are important to us and you want to make sure that the the, the best thing that i do like about underground gold miners is you can't bullshit them like they're they're pretty you got smart operators typically i think like then people people can smell it so you, if you speak genuinely in any environment people people will resonate with what you're saying i think they might not agree with it but if you explain that you're generally trying to do the right thing and set set things up for success and create that vibe, like we were talking about it pre-call about the, the vibe up at Jundee. Like I remember back in the Newmont days with the ex-employees or people I'd meet, they loved the place. It was the same in the Northern Star days. Like you, if you can create that corner, that culture and that environment um, where people want to work, um, you they're going to – they're invariably going to try that bit harder and believe in what they're doing. So I think that um, we're trying to trying to attack it from that prism um, and skill shortage, right? So you, you want to you want you you, you, you I think you just need to be ticking all those boxes. And I think from a from a management point of view and a board point of view, we genuinely do. We want to make sure our employees are happy um, and the like. So we're, we're trying to tick every box along that way because because uh, it, it matters, you know. Well, you know, you don't, you don't have to be in the position like a lot of other places probably are at the moment, having to throw exorbitant amounts of money around just to get people for bums on seats. Sounds like you, it's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, I'd rather work somewhere for less money, but it'd be a bloody awesome place to work. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say it because we, we are looking at, obviously, and that pushing the production and sort of putting some plans in place like, strategically of how we're going to look at achieving that because um, – I think that the, the world's changed in a lot of different respects. Like if you start looking at what you've seen in, in corporate culture 20 years ago, it was just pure capitalism. Like it was just mine it, mill it, make money, don't worry about the environment, to all of a sudden the concept of it was CSR, it was community and social relations. Is now, yeah, responsibilities now moved into ESG, which is environmental, social and corporate governance and the concepts of things such as shared value um, and the like. So you've sort of seen it. You've seen a big, big shift away from that that capitalistic model into that more of a value of shared of the concept of shared value, which is basically looking at your business and understanding how it affects everyone it touches. 
So from every component, so that's your staff, that's all your stakeholders and the like. So I think from a from an employer point of view, it's looking at saying, well, well, you've seen a big, big push in mental health. Um, I think in mining in in general, and I think that that's brilliant because um, at the end of the day, we all we're all human, we all bleed red blood. Um, and in my own life, I've, I've experienced some experienced some challenges as well on, on that front. Um, and, and I think that in terms of with your staff and with your, with, with your employees, you want to put them in a position where they're set up for success, but they're happy. You know, well, life's too short not to be. You've mm. got to um, you've got to be touching those points. So I think that we want to we really want to try and get that right at Bellevue. Now you're not going to please everyone, but you you, you want to make sure that you're pleasing the majority and. Um, creating that environment to to set everyone else up for success and probably creating the safety nets too um mental health mental health first aid awareness we did that at northern star um and we're doing it here at bellevue as well so um just trying to trying to set ourselves up um again for success but trying to make sure that that when people you click your fingers and think well what do you think of that company do i want to work there yeah i do you know you want to you want to try and create that environment and that, that all comes back to culture, I think. Has it been a bit of a, I don't know what the word is, I guess, relief, comfort in recent, like within the, I guess, the last six months, you ain't got to follow the announcements like Bellevue just keeps hitting gold, gold, big, you know, big resource announcement recently. It's like when you're trying to build this, but then, shit, we've got an awesome asset to back it up as well. Yeah. It's like, does that is that a bit of bloody weight off your shoulders? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that, I guess when I come on board, I had a vision of what things could be, and and, and I was probably privileged in my, my time at Northern Star. I'd sit in on for five and a half years every Monday morning. We'd we'd have thirty at times we'd have over thirty jewelry spinning across the business. But every every Monday morning we'd go through the the, the weekly results across the whole business, and I think that probably optimised the opportunity of, of of what's occurring at Bellevue. So that the project's continuing continuing to get better and as mm-hmm. as you're just seeing with that stage one feasibility study we're sitting at the bottom end of the cost curve so a 63 percent EBITDA margin is a fantastic margin um you want to make sure you know where all your dollars are going but you want to make sure that you that it's just it's just not about profitability it's about and, and i think you're going to see this evolve in the industry going forward where you're seeing different things that, that they're hitting the media at the moment and I probably don't really want to talk about them, but what, I guess what I'm saying is you, you're going to see more focus, in my opinion, on culture surveys, how people mm-hmm. actually feel at their at their work environment, and I think it pays to put the time in there to try and set things up to to get that right um, because it does matter. Um, you'd know it better than anyone, Matty. I think that employing the right people um, is a big factor in success, mm-hmm. um, and, and you, I guess you look at in sporting environments the same thing. Employing the best opening batsman is probably going to get the best outcome. Yeah. Um, but define best, right? Like the, the, the best is probably defined by the best fit for, for the team um, and the like. So the success that we're having with the asset, I think, certainly assists us in that um, it's nice to think that um, it's funny, you, you never, you want to get that that capital spend right of, of CapEx and OpEx, but we're going to be in a pretty enviable position, I think, in terms of. Um, being being afforded to make some some decisions that maybe some others aren't. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all dollars and cents. Like people in and out the door, flat out, ain't good for a business. When you got the culture embedded from an early stage, as you said, you're just you Bell, Bellevue's a baby at the moment compared to what it's gonna be. And yeah. like, but if that's all embedded, people are people aren't going to go anywhere. Well, no, you're mm. right. And I think it, it it's more than winning. I guess hearts and minds. It, it's it's it is. It's like it's getting people to. To, to to go that extra yard because they believe in what they're doing, but also rewarding them for doing it. I mm. think that alignment, I think, is probably um, pr- pretty pretty key. And if you looked at, I guess, um, well, what you say that that that, that but if you can, if you can create that confliction or alignment, it, you, you're doing a you're doing a good thing, you know, in terms of setting people up and setting the business up so that, or to say that. Two worlds are colliding, right? Someone's doing exactly what they want to be doing, and you're setting them up to to succeed by putting the infrastructure around them, um, rather than. I don't think it works. Just a bums on seats game, you know. Like you want to, and, and it, I think like we've seen a bit of a progression over the GBF guys. Like they've been lifting their single heading development rates from, so I think it was 100, 
160 meters a month to over 210 now like if you you'd know better than anyone but to to be in a, in a similar role you're going to get better at it rather than mm. chopping and changing everything oh and repetition in the, like once you know the joint it's yeah. uh things just flow yeah yeah all yeah. about flow yeah. yeah so i think and you're right like you invariably you want to certainly make sure that you're setting people up so they so they are getting paid well but you don't want that to be that the predominant driver mm. you, you i think there's more to it and there's a lot of parts of culture that i think contribute to that well i think it's everything yeah apart from the dollars and cents i think this is like we're this is like the end of Kill Bill 1. We've just left so much open. Like, this is for sequels. So there's going to be many more sequels of bloody Gleso and Bellevue coming up, but I'll probably get bombarded by your 10 o'clock meeting soon. So I'll have yeah, to wrap no, it up. No, we're no, we're right. leaving the fans yeah. in suspense. Yeah. No, I think that- uh, That was a good bloody intro. It would probably put some people to sleep. But um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a bit of fun. Matty, I think it's, it's great what you're doing. And um, just getting the voice of mining out there, because if you looked at- I think that just really quickly to look at the industry, like it's it, it is such a cool industry, and to be, to be able to talk about it and, and probably raise awareness. Like I think um, it'd be great to see a couple of things that, that that I'd like to see is like young people, like even my partner Elle, like had no idea that she started as a truck driver working on a mine site. Like a, as a young female, she had no idea you could do that. Mm. Like a, well, she became a unicorn that you stole off Northern Star. I've been <laughs> yeah, told. Yeah, Stralo yeah, mentioned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nah, she's she's brilliant. She's across at Oregon now, and um, it, it was yeah, if it wasn't for Northern Star, I wouldn't have met her. But um, I think in just the work that you're doing and whatnot, just to try and create a bit more awareness of the industry, just to try and drag drag some more people across mm. to the industry is a huge thing. And I think um, like even some of the mining conferences and events that we go to, it'd be nice to see if they did a school school window. You know, like the, the yeah. event that you. Um, I think interviewed at Macarat in town, like even the underground operators conference. Yeah, open that up the school kids for an hour on on one yeah. morning a week. You know what I mean, or something like that to try and get get some more people in. So um, I'll probably put a few people to sleep with my interview, but. Um, Oh, mate, everyone, oh, if I could get some messages sent to me because I've not swore once in an hour. So that's bloody oh, – you could welcome me in any corporate environment now. I've showed I could do it. So. Well, I don't know if I have. I hope I haven't. So, um. <laughs> no, thanks very much, mate. It's bloody good. Yeah, we'll, we'll do plenty more of these because it's a bloody exciting journey coming up. Yeah, no, it is. It's, 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 it's a great place and – um, they couldn't build a gold mine, mate. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. BGL, isn't it? Yeah, BGL, BGL, go buy some bloody shares, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> any any number will do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I can, if I can actually be influential and in like a bloody um the stock market volume for one day without an announcement, that means I've made it. So <laughs> yeah. good on you, Glow. So thank yeah. you very much. Cheers, mate. Appreciate it. <laughs>